Okay, that's <laughs> that's a new feature. Yeah. <laughs> well, now we know it's being recorded, so that's good. <laughs> no secret mm-hmm. recordings. Hey, welcome to Piecing It All Together. My name is Bo Sanders. I'm Randy Woodley. We are piecing this whole thing together with you. Thank you for listening and for tuning in. We look forward uh, to sharing this conversation with you and hearing from you uh, as we try and host this bigger conversation. So, hey, Bo, I got a, a, a very popular subject to talk to you about today. Oh, okay, great. Let's talk about the weather. <laughs> you know, Randy, I never thought I would be one of these people who talked about weather this much, but I got to tell you, with everything that's going on, I find myself talking about weather a lot these days. We're all thinking about weather a lot. So we just experienced, for those of you who aren't in our part of the country, we just experienced the worst heat wave in the history of the Northwest. And it got to uh, 110, 115, 116 degrees here uh, where I'm at and uh, left over 100 people dead in the wake of that heat wave. So it was it was pretty severe. And uh, so were you in Montana during that time or where were you? We yeah, we left Portland right in the middle of it and drove out to visit a family in Montana, but the heat followed us. And Uh so, yeah, we were right in the middle of it. It was unbelievably oppressive. I mean, it was just it. you had to account for the heat all day and all night. You had to be thinking about it, planning ahead, making adjustments, moving things around, canceling things. It was unbelievable. Yeah. And in the Northwest, most people don't have air conditioning, especially uh, so, uh, you know, in Washington, it got in Seattle, 111. I think it got about that hot in uh, Vancouver, B.C., which no one has air conditioning up there. And a number of people died uh, in uh, Vancouver and Seattle and other places. Yeah. Uh, Just just totally oppressive heat. Um, Killed a number of our plants here at the farm. Um, Scorched our fruit that was on the tree. Um, it is just crazy, crazy. Wow. You know, uh, I, I know a lot of my stories start like this, but every morning, because I'm a dual citizen with Canada, I listen to the Canadian news as I brew my coffee in the morning. That's sort of my tradition, how I start my morning. And there was a fascinating story last week in British Columbia. Three times more people died in British Columbia than in, in, in a normal week. But the odd thing was, is that they weren't able yet to directly link it to the heat, but they were basically theorizing that if you had any other condition, that it was complicated or exasperated by the heat, and that that was really the only variable that would explain why three times more people died in a week than in a normal week. Sure. Yeah, we're, we're just not meant to withstand that kind of heat up here. And it messes up the whole ecosystem. Um, uh, we're in um, a severe drought. Uh, just south of us and west of us, or east of us is in an extreme drought. Um, highly dangerous forest fires, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. This is, this is climate change, man. 
And uh, Mother Earth is striking back uh, and waiting for us to yield. But uh, we haven't quite got there yet. I saw an interesting sign on this uh, one of those billboards on the side of the highway that says, if it happens every year, can you call it a drought? And, huh. you know, the last 10 or 20 years, so this is sort of our climate now. It's, it's not, right, an abnormal thing. Like, it's changing presently. Yeah, so the Northwest, um, before this last century, uh, the 1900s, had not experienced a drought in over 6,000 years. Wow. So something has changed. What's changed? Industrialization, modernization, Western worldview. You know, it's all gone into to make things um, uh, to the point where uh, Mother Earth has no other recourse except for to take out the people who are trying to take out the community of creation. Wow. It's scary stuff. It's built in the system. Yeah. Two podcasts ago, you and I talked, it would had been the driest May, I think, on record or April. April. It had been and the driest June now, we know. Is that right? Yeah. And then the, the driest April on record in Oregon and the driest June on record in Oregon. May was not the driest, but it was, you know, up there as one of them. So yeah, we're just, man, we're hurting up here. And try farming with uh um, unreliable wells <laughs> during this year. It's been quite a challenge. Man. So speaking of water. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a question, Bo. Yeah. Do you canoe? I love canoeing. It is one of my... So, so you're supposed to say, I do canoe. Do you oh, canoe? I do. <laughs> I I didn't know that that was the the response. I apologize. I didn't play the game right. <laughs> it's a commercial from probably you know you were just a, a little tyke. You wouldn't uh, remember canoe aftershave, but uh, they would say you know do you canoe? I do canoe. Do you canoe too? <laughs> uh, now I've got to look this up. All right. All right. I've, I've got something. But anyway, you you made this great canoe trip. And we never did talk about it. So I'm wondering if uh, maybe we can talk about that today. That would be wonderful. I've been actually wanting to tell you about it and, um, and share some of the experiences and just trade uh, notes with you on some of the stuff that I learned. Uh, so this, this canoe trip, we've been doing it for more than 15 years. Uh, normally, it happens in the Adirondacks in upstate New York, uh, north of Albany, but uh, south of Montreal. And it's a canoe only, no motorized boats or vehicles, uh, no jet skis. It's canoe only waters in the Adirondacks. It's part of the Lowe's Lake uh, system. And then we, uh, midweek, portage or portage, if you, depending on how you pronounce that, we portage uh, over to the Oswegatchie River, and, uh, which is a really unique river i'll tell you about it and um and then we pop out over by uh, inlet by wanakina where there's uh, actually a forestry school there and uh, we pop out over there by horseshoe lake so it takes us all week it's really an incredible journey 
Um, there have been a couple times over the years where we haven't been able to do that original trip. So we've tried to recreate it in other places, Oregon and California, but it's, you know, it's not the same. That That is a really special place for us. When And this year... Yeah, a lot of Indian names there. That's true. Yes. I always wonder what happened when the colonizer, oops, we forgot to name that, rename that place, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once in a while, you'll see something uh, that had been renamed, and then it was sort of crossed out and it returned to uh, an earlier name. But yeah, there is yeah. a lot of... A lot of that back in uh, upstate New York. We didn't get to go 2019, obviously, or 2020. Yeah, because of COVID, the trip was canceled. And so we all committed that if we could do it, we were going to get vaccinated and we were going to do the trip this year. So we got to do that. And we all met up in Albany and uh, drove up and launched in. So the entire week that I was there, it was like, being in uh, not a classroom, that's the wrong way to say it, but it was like every day there was some lesson that was made obvious to me. And throughout the week, some themes emerged. And so I started keeping mental track of them. And I thought, I'm going to want to talk about these with Randy. So, so they, what you're telling me is you were actually – out in nature and you were paying attention. <laughs> I was trying my best. Uh, <laughs> you know, as somebody who's used to living in, inside with the uh, heat and air conditioning, when you are out there in the elements, a lot of your energy and a lot of your calories go to just trying to stay warm or dry or upright. And uh, so it does take a lot of energy, but yeah, there was something really special that was happening where I was trying to pay attention and it wasn't that hard. It was the lessons were in front of you all the time. But um, the big one that I wanted to tell you about is when you're out there, everything seems to be sort of a trade-off. Something that on the surface might appear to be bad usually has an upside or something that's good can often have a downside and they all sort of mirror each other. It was just a really powerful theme that developed all week that there was in almost everything, there was a good and a bad, you know, it, from, from my human perspective. Can you, can you give us an example? Yeah, so it was cold, really cold all week. And so that was a challenge, but it kept down the black flies and the mosquitoes, which are usually <laughs> pretty uh, ravenous and very <laughs> difficult to sort of endure. So it was cold, but no bugs. So that was nice. Mm -hmm. And it rained on us a lot. And uh, the water was quite high. And so as we canoed, you know, we would often encounter uh, beaver dams or obstacles that the, the beavers, they, they're really uh, quite active in, in that uh, watershed. And so there have been years where the water was low. And every time we would encounter a beaver dam or a barrier, 
we would have to either lift the boat out of the water and over. And so it became, you know, cause there's like more than 40 of these, it becomes a real, well, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's dangerous when you're in moving water to get out of the boat, stand precariously on a dam, lift the boat over and then try and get back in. It can be really tricky, but with the water being so high this year, uh, we were easily able to go over all of them with almost no effort at all. It was just, you know, but there were two trade-offs to that. There are downed trees because the Asawagachi is a, it's a serpentine river. It's just big hairpin S turns over and over and over through this sandy uh, valley. And so the river is really just twisty and turny. And, but it eventually, you know, the sand will erode the bank. And so sometimes these big trees that have been growing for generations will fall into the river. When right. the water's low, you can usually go underneath the part of the tree that's a little bit out of the water. You can skirt under it. But with the water high this year, you couldn't. You couldn't get under the downed trees. And Ooh. so two or three times a day, we had to really try and figure out how we were going to do this. And so sometimes we'd have to pull over upstream and hike down through the brush and figure out where we were gonna pull out and put in and then drag our canoes around and, and sometimes unload the canoes and hike down our gear, then move the boat, then reload. It became a really you know, challenging part of the trip is that we couldn't go under the fallen logs like normal. Right. But for me, the biggest challenge was because the water was so high and was flowing so uh, quickly, fishing became difficult because Ooh. in a small stream like that, you, if you're, especially if you're fly fishing like I was, you can't get your lure down to where the fish are in a way and present to them the lure so we didn't catch many or any fish. Uh, and usually that's the main part of our diet when we're out there. So this year. Yeah, I mean, did you pack enough food or? Yeah, well, we, I mean, yes. In that we had a lot of rice and beans and granola bars and, you know, we made. But no fish. But no fish. So oh, the man. entire week was like this. It's like. It was great in that there were no bugs, but it was really cold. And so sleeping, you had to really think about keeping warm at night. Uh, the wood was all wet. And so making a fire was really, um, we, we could get the fire going, but then we had to be very strategic about drying the next layer of wood on the side of the fire so that when we put it in, that it would take, it just, it was just, a constant activity of thinking about what's the next thing we need to do. So it was wonderful. And it really, you know, asked a lot of us personally and for us to work together as a team. But I was just very aware that there's, there's a trade-off. Nothing is all good. Very few things are all bad. Everything's sort of, I don't, Balance is not the right way to say it, but there's a harmony I know is a word that uh, may resonate where 
things, there's a trade-off in things. And I just felt very honored. There was sort of an awe um, that was present with me all week at just the part that I got to play in this bigger story of you know being out there and, and living for me in a in a different way than normal but that I was very much dependent on my surroundings but I was also interacting with them and changing them even in my presence there and it made me just very aware and maybe it was because after a year of quarantine you know life had been so much the same day after day and on this trip you know every day brought something new nothing was the same you know we we pack up and move camp every morning and so we arrive at a new a new campsite every day the water changed everything was um just felt very alive to me and i was very aware of both my need to interact with and and trust and participate in my surroundings but also that some things really benefited me, but other things really provided a challenge, but that nothing was purely good or purely bad. It was just an interesting sort of a spiritual awareness I had. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's life, right? Right. So, so you're officially, uh, uh, we can call you now a Zen master. <laughs> um, you ever see that uh, movie, uh, you ever see the movie Charlie Wilson's War? Tom Hanks, Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah, Julia maybe. Roberts. I think, yeah, I think I did see it back in the day. It's all about Afghanistan. Well, uh, you know the uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's um, uh, uh, character uh, tells a story, right? And he's they're talking about you know how how this thing's going to end up with Afghanistan, right? Which is in the news now. Yeah. So he says there's a little boy on his 14th birthday and he gets a horse. And everybody in the village says, how wonderful. The boy had got a horse. And the Zen master says, we'll see. <laughs> Two years later, the boy falls off the horse. He breaks his leg. And everyone in the village says, how terrible. And the Zen master says, we'll see. Then a war breaks out and all the young men have to go off and fight, except the boy can't because his legs are all messed up, right? And everybody in the village says, how wonderful. And the Zen master says, we'll see. So, you know, life is just a series of uh, ups and downs and trade-offs and sacrifices. And that's just how it works, right? That's what life's about. And, and uh, so you're, you're in this amplified that. So you're in touch with it even more. Nature yeah. has a way of doing that, doesn't it? Just to amplify yeah. the reality of everything. Yeah. I was now you're supposed to say, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're, set, you're setting me up and I'm missing my prompts today. <laughs> I was just, you know, it was, it was just after a year of quarantine, it was just a very stark change, you know, in a very quick um, oh, yeah. moment. Incredible so, opportunity. Yeah. And everything it just. It must have been like being like born again, right? It felt that way. Yeah. Like my, my eyes, like colors were brighter and. 
temperatures were more vibrant and just, yeah, it was a really powerful experience. And of course, being with my friends, I mean, these are lifelong friends that I've had and we've been on long journeys together and through the ups and downs of life and um, kids being born and parents passing away. And were they, uh, did you guys talk about this, uh, these discoveries? Uh, Yeah, it was uh, every night around the campfire. It was sort of a time of uh, reflection. We were much more poetic, I think, than normal. Um, And I, and I chalked up that to to COVID and just that our, lives had been so much controlled and same and quarantined. So to be out there felt very liberating and very big and real. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. Hey, I, uh, I actually wrote a poem and I know that you are a poet. I don't write many poems. And so I wrote a poem and uh, I was hoping to, to read it to you. I've oh, read several- great. I've read several of your poems, but I've never, I don't think I've ever read you one of mine. Let's do it. By the way, normally my poetry is so hack and elementary that we jokingly call it poetry because it really really should not (laughs) even qualify. But this one was pretty cool. So as long as it's not... As yeah. long as it's not dude broetry. Broetry. <laughs> That's a good caution. <laughs> um, background story. I am an early bird. I am always up crack of dawn. Um, and one of the things that provides for me to do normally is I uh, get to make the morning fire and start the first pot of coffee And I usually get an hour or two to myself in the morning. Sometimes I go fishing. Sometimes I just sit and listen. And then slowly I'll start to hear camp uh, come, you know, start rustling. And so I'll put on a second pot of coffee. So when people get up, it's waiting for them. (laughs) It's sort of our morning tradition. And this morning in particular, uh, we were on an island uh, on this lake and there was just so much activity going on on this island and the surrounding waters. And I was feeling bad that all of my buddies were sleeping through it because it was just this amazing morning. So I actually went into my pack and found a a pen and tore out a piece of paper and I wrote down this poem. So here it is. Creation is symphony. As the winged creatures sing the song of the Adirondacks, songbirds lead the alto section, loons as sopranos, geese trumpet the baritone sax, and the woodpecker provides the rhythm section. Without conductor, they sing the song in harmony all around the sleeping island. Nice. Thanks. So that's the first. I've never read you any of my poetry before. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Um, I was going to ask you, and I, uh, you answered the question through your poem, 
my favorite sound on earth. And I was, because I knew in that country you had to have heard it, but my absolute favorite sound on earth, like there's nothing I enjoy more. There's nothing that's more mystique, um, primal, um, uh, and gratifying to me than the sound of a loon. Really? Yeah. I just love it. I love loon sounds. Uh, you know, I, and I remember camping and, you know, in Northern Michigan and hearing the loons and just, just falling in love with that stillness and that sound in the middle of the stillness, you know, it's a, so, uh, so, you know, Hey, I'm jealous. You got to hear that. So. so here's an honest question. Do you, a lot of people love that loon call. In fact, whenever I, people find out that I go camping or canoeing or that I'm you know, doing something like this, they'll ask me, did you hear a loon? Which I've always thought was such an interesting question. Like, yeah, I heard a loon, but why is that the question you wanted to ask me? There must be something about that call do you think it's because it's so rare? Like loons only live in really uh, isolated places. Right. You- huh. So to me, I, I don't know. It's like whenever I hear them, and I haven't heard one in a long time, but whenever I do, um, it's always like silent. And then you hear their call and it's just like eternity calling or something. I don't know what, you know. Wow. That actually is really interesting. I did not know that uh, you, when you said your favorite sound on earth, I didn't know what you were going to say. So that's really fascinating. Yeah, my other favorite sound is an elk, but um, but, oh. I, but a loon even more. Yeah, yeah, that elk call. There, I there is nothing I have ever heard that sounds. I've never heard anything that is in the same category as a bull elk calling like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. so nice poem. Thanks. Um, a lot of uh, simile. Mm. Um, you know the the uh, saxophones and the yeah. you know all the rest. And, yeah. Uh, that's that's uh, it's interesting that you uh, compared it with those things, right? Because those are the things you know. Yeah. And uh, and yeah. So mm. so all of those things come. You know, all the sounds that we make in instruments, they probably all come from nature, right? Mm. Because someone heard something and said, I want something to sound like that. <laughs> so, um, so, for example, Indian flute, the native flute, uh, at least the Western version, is, um, you know, it can sound like a loon. It can sound like the wind going through a canyon or the trees. Uh, and it's, it's oftentimes... Um, if you want to get a song, you're supposed to go out in the woods and hear the wind going through the woods and each tree resonates differently. Right. That's true. And if you can hear them, then, um, you know, maybe you'll, you'll get that sound and learn a song. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. That actually is really true. As somebody who's lived and had the opportunity to live in different parts of North America, different trees do very much make different sounds there's no doubt about that yeah and then even um our our uh, native songs our indian songs yeah if you notice on the coast they sing in lower registers i have noticed that yeah on both coasts but in the plains higher registers 
Um, and in the south where it's uh, more wooded, yeah. uh, kind of in between those coastal and the plains. So we have, you know, and, you know, my theory is that, you know, in you have that ocean roar on both both sides of the the uh, continent. And so they sing low like the ocean. And in the plains, you have that high wind whipping and they sing high. And then the the south is kind of in between and you have the woods and things. And so it's a not uh, the southern drum is um, lower registered, but not as low as the coast. So, um, yeah, you know, this is this is all germane, I think, to what we're we're talking about. I might be wrong, but this is just what I developed to think. Really? Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, by chance, do you have a poem you want to read, or should I tell you a funny story about a lewd? Go ahead and tell me a funny story, because <laughs> I don't have a poem to read. I could, okay. Um, okay. yeah, if I was on my other computer, I could read you something germane to the conversation from my new book that's going to be coming out, Becoming Rooted, but um, I'm not at my, uh, um, yeah, I'm not at that computer, so. Okay, well, we'll look forward to that on the next episode then. Okay, here's my funny story. Last Christmas, my sister-in-law, who lives in town with us, she found a shirt that my mother-in-law, my wife's mother, who loves loons, absolutely loves them. Uh, she found a shirt for her that says something like um, something loony, whatever it was. And she orders it from like one of these Etsy places and has uh -huh. it shipped there for Christmas. So Christmas morning, we call uh, my in-laws to see, you know, wish them happy Christmas and, and see what they thought of their presents. And uh, we're having a nice conversation with them and they don't say anything about the gift at all. So my sister-in-law asks, hey, mom, what did you, what did you think of your shirt, your gift? And she said, um, to be honest, I'm a little confused. And she said, why are you confused? You, you love loons. And she said, well, I, you know, I, to be honest, I had to look it up on the internet. I wasn't, I didn't know if it was uh, funny or if it was an insult. I, I didn't know how to take it. And my sister-in-law is totally confused at this point. And she says, it's mom it's because you you love loons and she said well what's that have to do with being salty <laughs> they had sent her the wrong shirt <laughs> they sent my my mother-in-law a shirt that said stay salty <laughs> <laughs> well, what did the other one say stay loony yes yes <laughs> And so she looks it up on the internet and it takes her to like urban dictionary, which you should never send people to. And so she's reading the definition on urban dictionary. She thinks, why did my daughters think I would like this? Why did they send this to me? They thought it was like, she thought it was an underhanded way of telling her she was salty and it didn't go well. So wow. I just thought it was the funniest thing. So I, I am on the hunt for an actual loon shirt for like Mother's Day or something to, to make up for it. And uh, But man, every time I 
either hear salty or lewd. Uh, that's the first thing that comes to my mind because it was possibly the <laughs> funniest miscommunication we've ever had. Wow. Yeah. <sighs> well, well, we've talked about, uh, you know, music and nature mm. and being out and lessons and, you know, what life has to teach us in nature. So hopefully um, people will be inspired today to yeah. go out and spend a little time themselves and see what kinds of poems or songs that they get. Well, I would love that. Listener, please send us anything that you would like to at connect at piecingitalltogether.com. That's our email address. You can link us to something or post something on our Facebook page. We also have a group uh, specifically for those who've been supporting us on Patreon. If you'd like to become a Patreon supporter, I'll link to that in the show notes. But we love uh, hearing feedback from you and want to thank all of you who have been giving us so much good feedback. Recently, both from Rachel and from Jana, we have gotten some really good uh, feedback and some insightful stuff. So we want to say thank you for that and for your uh, support, everybody. Yeah. So I guess this is Bo and Randy saying peace out. <laughs>